Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. That makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Today, we are diving headlong into the murky, often disturbing world of Hollywood old school class capital H Hollywood. This is a backstage look behind the glitz and glamour into the world of drugs, crime, assault, and just maybe conspiracy. So uh, before we get to the, the meat of today's exploration, before we get really into the bowels of conspiracy here, uh, I have to ask, None of us actually met Marilyn Monroe, right? Is that correct? No, no, not personally, though. Uh, shout out to a friend of uh, the show, friend of all three of us as individuals, Sarah Kotnoff. This is an episode she's been screaming for for years now. Yes, shout out to you, Sarah. Thank you for tuning in. If this is an episode you listen to, we should text her. Uh, what about you, Matt? Uh, did I meet Marilyn Monroe? Unfortunately, Marilyn Monroe? I was not uh, around in the sixties, but, uh, yes. Um, I, reports maybe, of Matt's illicit yeah. affair with Marilyn have been largely exaggerated. Just putting uh, that out there. Definitely. So confirming, uh, I can imagine, I can only imagine the same is true for Paul, Mission Control Deccant. Uh, and if you are listening to today's episode, statistically, you probably never met the Hollywood icon Marilyn Monroe in person. However, you are almost 
doubtlessly aware of this person. Even if you, uh, even if you live in a community where you've never heard the name or seen the films, you have seen some image of this individual. And this individual, as we have clearly established here, passed away. Even today, questions remain about the nature of this person's demise. There are, you might be surprised to find, many active conspiracy theories about just what happened to Marilyn Monroe. So here are the facts. If you recognize this person, uh, kind of a... um, kind of the harbinger of the blonde bombshell trope, right? Marilyn Monroe is a uh, is a U.S. star of the screen, right? Also known as a model, a pinup model, and has been uh, depicted, parodied, paid homage to in so many works of fiction But who was she really? Uh, I guess the first thing we have to say is that she didn't start out with the name Marilyn Monroe. No, no, no. The person we knew as Marilyn Monroe was born Norma Jean Mortensen. She was born on June 1st in 1926 in the great city of Los Angeles. And uh, yeah, as you said, Ben, she's known for a lot of things, mostly weirdly enough for being a looker and for being very alluring in the way she spoke and her physical mannerisms. Um, she's one of the, maybe one of the first people that was, you couldn't take your eyes off of the film when Marilyn Monroe was on it. And that just became a, a thing that everybody like an image of Marilyn Monroe became something that everyone wanted to get their hands on, to be able to take one, to have a picture of her. It's very, it's very interesting to see how she isn't necessarily the beginning of that kind of celebrity culture, but she's definitely like maybe exists at the pinnacle of it. Right. Like, uh, sort of like Edison never invented the light bulb, but popularized it. Mm. (laughs) So the, the thing is, Monroe's life or Mortensen's life was far from perfect, especially in the early days. She would later take her mother's name Baker for a time. And her mother equally had a difficult life. She was frequently confined to an asylum. And so Norma Jean was raised by no less than 12 different sets of foster parents, some of whom were abusive And for a time, she was living in an orphanage. She also didn't know that she had siblings for quite some time. Uh, She learned that she had a sister when she was about 17 or 18. It was tough. You know, if you looked at this person as a juvenile, you would probably have a hard time connecting that individual to the icon of stage and screen. She suffered from a stutter in childhood, which is likely uh, likely a result of the abuse she suffered from multiple fosters, multiple guardians. Uh, and so when she's a kid, watching films becomes a way to escape from the grim realities of life. Early on, she says, I want to be an actress. This is very important. She doesn't say, I want to be a model. She doesn't say, I want to be um, 
you know, I want to be a Kardashian or whatever the equivalent would be nowadays. She just says, I want to escape. I want to be someone else. And while she's thinking of this, she doesn't immediately start off as a model. She, uh, if things had gone just a little bit differently, she may have spent the entirety of her career working at aircraft factories or munition factories. Right, which is where obviously she was when she kind of got her big break, I guess. Or at least if you want to go and see pictures of pre-icon Marilyn Monroe, you can see her working in some of those factories as a part of kind of a photo shoot of like women in the workforce. And she ended up marrying somebody who was working that job along with her, or at least in the factory. Uh, but they didn't last too long. Right after World War II, they separated, divorced. Um, and here's the thing. At that time, when she had her first marriage, she was very young, only 16 years old. That's right. Um, her husband at the time was 21, uh, which is problematic by today's standards. Um, she married to avoid being sent back to an orphanage. Um, so this was definitely a marriage, a sort of a functional marriage for her anyway. Uh, the marriage was not a success, um, but it did lead her to move in with in-laws uh, when her husband was deployed into the Merchant Marines in 1944. That's when she started that job, working in a munitions factory in Van Nuys, and met uh, this photographer fellow named David Conover, who was sent by the U.S. Army Air Force's uh, first motion picture unit to take pictures of women working in, in the in the workforce. It's sort of like a Rosie the Riveter kind of like campaign. You know, the idea that, well, while the men are away, the, the women take up their, their hubby's mantle, you know, and I'm just speaking in the parlance of kind of the tone of these uh, these ads. Yeah, it's propaganda, right? Yeah, it's absolutely you're absolutely right, Matt. It's a it's a propaganda photo op, and her uh, specific photos didn't make the cut for that propaganda push. But as a result of that interaction, she ended up quitting the factory altogether to work as a model. Uh, for this photographer, you name Noel, David Conover, and some of his friends. The next year, it's 1945, she signs her first modeling contract. This is with something called the Blue Book Model Agency. Uh, it is owned by someone named Emmeline Snively. And the suits at this agency, again, there's a lot of misogyny at the time. The suits at this agency say, you know what? Norma Jane, you're more of a pinup model than like a high fashion runway type. So we're going to put you in more pinup-y situations. And she worked her ass off. This is when this person dyes their hair blonde and straightens it and uh, becomes a hit in no less than a year. What is pinup versus high fashion? Can we just, I just don't understand maybe the difference. Pinup is, I, mean, I think it's seen historically, or, or at the time it was a little bit more, uh, not trashy, it wasn't pornography, but it was definitely high fashion was much more about, you know, fine clothes and and uh, and society and all that. And pinup was considered a little bit more prurient or broad and uh, sort of like maybe Maxim Magazine versus Vogue. Okay. I would say, again, uh, practicing the misogyny at the time, they are looking at body shape. And they're seeing a woman with curves, a woman who is booksome and not quite a 
fashion plate for a weird dress from an Italian fashion house, right? So they are, that's, that's what they're looking at. They're looking at kind of sex appeal, if we're being frank. And so 33 magazines, less than a year, things that other models would absolutely dream of. She begins using a pseudonym, Jean Norman, because even though this is before the days of social media, she's probably already got some weirdos writing some weirdo letters uh, through her boss, the Blue Book agency owner, Emmeline Snively. Monroe gets a contract with an acting agency. Let's remember this person always wanted to act since childhood. This leads to a contract with 20th Century Fox, which is still around today. Uh, she starts to pick up the name Marilyn Monroe around this period. And shortly after this, like you alluded to, Matt, she divorces her first husband. This guy was not on board with her new career. He was also a merchant marine. Uh, you could write a book about her early childhood, her rise to fame or subsequent career. Many, many people already have. Not all of these books encounter the same rigor of scholarship, which we'll see soon. Uh, but as a result of that, we're going to stick to high-level points. Her first film appearances are what you could call bit parts, dare I say eye candy, in things like Dangerous Years, 1947, and my favorite uh, film title in today's episode, Scudder Ho, Scudder Hey, 1948. <laughs> I've never seen it. Is that some kind of military, like, hoo kind of, like, thing? Uh, that's what it strikes me as, like, some sort of exclamation that might be used in, in an armed, a branch of the armed forces. Scudder Ho, Scudder Hey. It's just fun to say. It certainly uh, is, and it's fun to <laughs> rhyme. And she was pretty immediately successful as a model, if not right away, you know, the Hollywood icon that we know today. And to her credit, Monroe did not give up, even when she had to switch studios and she would go to these acting uh, conservatories, acting labs, and so on, and the teachers would tell her, in candid terms, that they were unimpressed. Her breakthrough doesn't arrive until 1949. She returns to modeling part-time, and from like 49 to 52, she's still modeling. And she's done some uh, topless work in the past by this point, and she's landing supporting roles in multiple films. Uh, a lot of, like, a lot of comedies as the very sexy person in the comedy. Oh, yes. Uh, many a comedy she was in. Uh, also, many a soldier's bunk area she was in. Uh, hey, no, oh. I don't know if that's the right way to say that. No, it no, is. Uh, you're right. <laughs> no. I mean, if you think about like the Shawshank Redemption or the short story that it was based on, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, the Stephen King short story from different seasons, it's all those were those pinup girls were posters in, in a lot of ways. And then they were the kinds of things you'd see in sailors, you know, bunks and all of that stuff. And uh, it's a very important part of the plot of that story because it was such a common thing to see. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what regulations the military has for having those, that kind of imagery up around. Uh, I don't know if it's encouraged yeah, think, or uh, discouraged. I think, <laughs> I think it was just part of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So at I'm, that time, so I'm being jokey about it actually being up in the areas where where soldiers slept, but um, but she was very popular with soldiers. Um, there was something almost, 
I don't know. I can imagine it in the minds of some of the people running the military as having someone like that, an icon like that, that resonates so much with so many troops as being almost a patriotic symbol in some way of how great America is. Can you guys like I feel like that might be true. You're 100 percent correct. Uh, America, uh, the United States, I should say, has always had two primary exports, culture and warfare. Uh, that's those are the two biggest and there's no arguing about it. Uh, she was also called uh, Cheesecake Queen in 1952, which was both a reference to her appeal among soldiers in the Korean War, as the U.S. calls it, and uh, their favorite wartime food which was cheesecake wasn't cheesecake photos and stuff like that kind of like edgy sort of sexy pictures it's all part fingers on a hand man you nailed it of actual cheesecake or no it's just it's like a term it's like it's like no i think it's just the term came to refer to kind of pictures you might hide in your sock drawer you know okay okay from mom or something like like this yeah it wasn't overt as much as it was, you know, naughty. It's a little body, it. right? It. Like, woo-hoo-hoo. Yeah, th- think pin up to burlesque what stripper is to pornography, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's, t- yeah, right, yeah. That, we could drive that one around the block, you know? Uh, <laughs> she, she uh, Monroe, uh, networked a lot and with publicists and any any actor any working actor who is a fellow conspiracy realist, you know the game. A lot of it is socializing and small talk and the BS horse trading. She also dated extensively and often ended up dating directors like Nicholas Ray. Other actors make sense. You're in the same uh, industry, right? So Yul Brenner of uh, the King and I fame. Sports stars. Mm-hmm. Joe DiMaggio, yeah, a former baseball star, but like Beckham now, he still had a lot of public attention. Her dating Joe DiMaggio, whom she would later go on to marry for a short time, like the best, one of the best modern analogs would be, imagine if Scarlett Johansson was dating LeBron James in terms of public attention, right? Yeah, or or I was even going to say, like, to me, the closest equivalent we have to Marilyn Monroe in terms of just the tension, the tabloidiness is um, Taylor Swift. You know, Taylor Swift uh, is just absolutely massive in terms of her broad appeal, has, you know, rabid loyalist kind of fans and also famous kind of uh, public, you know, dating um, situation that she acknowledges all the time and then has written songs about it and stuff. And it's just like, everyone wants to know who's uh, Taylor going to date next or whatever. Yeah. That's why I just had to, you know, amicably turn her down. I, I just, it's you fair. know, why don't we just you write a, a song, song written about you, man. Why don't we just man. write a song together? You know, yes. like we don't have to do the dating thing. Anyway, Marilyn Monroe encounters global success. And along with this success comes scandal. Uh, She does have those earlier topless modeling shoots. She artfully avoids being canceled for those in a very puritanical environment. But the whole time in her life, in her professional life, she wants to be more than just a pretty face. She wants to be taken seriously as an actor. 
That's one of her childhood loves. And, you know, it bothers her a little bit that she's often typecast as a sex symbol in these comedy films. Over the next decade, it's fair to say that she encountered a wealth of highs and an ongoing tide of lows. She marries Joe DiMaggio for a couple of months. She's in tons of films, tons of tons of uh, model shoots. She divorces uh, Joe DiMaggio, and she marries Arthur Miller of Crucible fame. She gets a she wins a Golden Globe. Like this, this kid's a big deal. But she also starts to encounter some troubling health problems. Yeah, one can only imagine what happens to to your mind when you reach that level of fame. And often we have seen in the past, it has negative effects on just, I I would say, overall mental well-being. Yeah. Uh, And this is not something that Marilyn was immune to. She began seeing a psychiatrist out in Los Angeles in 1959, a guy named Dr. Ralph Greenson. And she had some complaints uh, about some stuff that, in my mind, you would say to a psychiatrist or maybe even a therapist, like, I need help with my insomnia. I really can't sleep very well. Um, and I need some medication either for that or maybe for some other problems that I'm dealing with. But it did appear, at least according to reports, that she was requesting quite a bit of medication to the point where this particular psychiatrist, uh, Greenson, believed she was at the point of or nearing the point of being addicted to these pills. Well, that's what we know happened with Michael Jackson, you know, uh, and possibly to a lesser degree with Prince. But Michael Jackson was, you know, having such a hard time sleeping. I think his uh, personal doctor was prescribing him something called propofol, which is like not intended for that kind of use. And often when you're that level of famous, you kind of surround yourself with people that kind of give you whatever you want and don't really call you on it. And that could include no slander to anyone in the medical profession, but some people in the medical profession. This guy seems to have seen the signs and perhaps tried to intervene, though, which is a good thing. He'll come up later in the story. <laughs> we're, we're giving some background here. Uh, yeah, you're both absolutely right. Uh, the very last film that Monroe completes leads to rumors that she was difficult to work with. Important to note, these were not new accusations. Various directors had said similar things in the past. She had also talked on record about how uh, photo shoots were easier, right? So she gains a reputation for being quote unquote difficult during the making of the misfits. She was allegedly consuming pills and alcohol to the point that filming became difficult. Monroe and her husband at the time, Arthur Miller start to fight a whole lot. And after the film is concluded, they separate on May 19th, 1962. Monroe famously attends the birthday party of John F. Kennedy. She performs a custom-written version of the Happy Birthday song. Less than three months after this, she dies. I always kind of assumed that she just sort of riffed that version, you know, that it was sort of like off the cuff. Do you have any more info about the specially written version? That's fascinating to me. Yeah, she could have freestyled. She's tremendously clever. And at this point in her life, people had started to respect her acumen as a comic and as an actor, which is all she really wanted, I think. Oh, yeah. 
I guess you know that that version when she sings it to him famously turned a lot of heads because it's incredibly flirty and uh, and and very you know um, directed at at the president and I think that maybe is what uh, started a lot of people asking questions about the nature of their relationship. Was there any difference in the song besides the like sultry nature of the performance? Mr. No, president. Mr. President part. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Uh, look, this. This is all happening at once. And again, this is a very high-level view. Unfortunately, the person known as Marilyn Monroe is discovered dead in her home on August 4th, 1962. The body is unclothed in a bed face down, holding a telephone in one hand. This person is only 36 years old. Uh, And, you know, I don't want to get on a soapbox here about the dangers and stupidity of deifying celebrities who are only other human beings. Other, But I do want to say that this attention that you're describing, Matt, a bit is, uh, is part and parcel of what can lead people to an early death. Folks make these concepts of real humans and put them on a pedestal just to watch them crash and then act all scandalized and surprised when it happens because these people have been continually hounded throughout their lives. The coroner's toxicology report is pretty interesting and says the official cause of death is acute barbiturate poisoning. And they say it cannot be accidental. They say the dosages are well over the lethal limit the dosages would have been known to this individual. In other words, they're saying suicide. They're saying Marilyn Monroe took a bunch of pills on purpose and died. Barbiturates are like um, sedatives or uh, well, maybe you'd call them tranquilizers kind of. Isn't that what those are? Yeah, the idea is that they were prescribed to her for insomnia by two separate doctors, as you had noted earlier, Matt, like the... There were two doctors. We'll get into them in a second. They're they're at the root of some of these conspiracies because as soon as this person passes away, again, at only the age of 36, rumors start to surface. People are saying foul play was involved. And even now, in 2023, decades later, those rumors of conspiracy and allegations of a cover-up Continue. So did one of the world's most famous people at the time really take her own life through suicide or accidental overdose? Or is there more to the story? That's what we're about to explore after a word from our sponsors. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great tasting all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to symbiotica.com. That's C Y M B I O T I K A. Here's where it gets crazy. Hey guys, just a couple of things I just want to understand before we get into this. Uh, she, to the best of our knowledge, she was found unclothed with her hand on the telephone. That is like official. That's the official story as of this moment. Yeah, that is that continues to be the official story. And uh, her body's discovered in the wee hours. Uh, so it's like, depending on whether you're a daytime or a nighttime individual, it's either late in the evening on August 4th or early in the morning on Saturday, August 5th. Got but it. It's okay. before dawn. Got it. That's what yeah, I wanted to make sure I understood the day. Yeah, you know. The questions surrounding the death, it's interesting. Uh, If you follow this story, you know that Los Angeles law enforcement, the district attorney, actually started looking into this. They reviewed the case in 1982 because of all the questions and claims surrounding this tragic demise. Spoiler, their official position is that the first the first coroner's account is correct, and there's no evidence to support the idea that Monroe was murdered. So maybe we start we start here with these questions. Whatever people are digging up, it was enough that in 1982, the district attorney did start to re-examine the case. Maybe we talk through some of the leading conspiracies, the leading theories, and evaluate them along the way. What we find is is really interesting from a folkloric perspective. Everybody had a pet theory about this woman's death and they started, I will, this is just me. This is like a bad idea. I would say that what, what we see happening is that people would pluck, cherry pick earlier claims without looking into the evidence, present those as fact, and then build their own you know their own spins on it it's really it's really weird if you look at the first printed allegation of conspiracy it's not a book it's not a big deal in the public consciousness it's writ- it's by a guy named Frank A Capel it's a pamphlet self published it's a zine basically it's called the strange death of marilyn monroe 1964 frank a capel is including is like writing about this through a very specific lens. He is an anti-communist conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And he sees Marilyn Monroe as this commie agent who has essentially infiltrated the U.S. government at some of the highest levels with Robert F. Kennedy. 
And you also know, a communist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he says. Uh huh. And so the con- the idea is that Marilyn was going to at some point expose that she and RFK were having some kind of affair, and in order to stop that from happening, RFK got his uh, in this person's mind communist cronies to do the deed to take her out, make it look like she overdosed on barbiturates. And, and he was like, think about it. Arthur Miller, also a communist, also a red. Look at her doctors. I bet they're commies, too. What we're looking at is a communist conspiracy. Well, this was the the height of, like, red scare kind of propaganda and people being blacklisted and all of that stuff. And, you know, the House Un-American Committee and all of that. So it really was kind of like a witch hunt of a time, which, if I'm not mistaken, is is what Arthur Miller wrote The Crucible about. Um, Just that whole, you know, atmosphere that, that he was swept up in very much. You guys, have you heard of this show, Paul T. Goldman? No, but you mentioned it the other the other day, and, and I, I remember being intrigued. Tell 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 us more. This thing you're mentioning, Ben, as um, this guy who wrote the pamphlet had this lens in front of him of con- communism. Uh, it's very similar to me in the way this show. I would recommend everybody watch if you if you have. I think it's oh, what is it on Peacock? Maybe um, he had a le- a very specific lens that he was looking through, and it colored the way he saw all of the evidence that he was encountering over the course of this story. And it's, I think it's very similar to that. And I think that's a really great point, Ben, that you could kind of apply to many conspiracy theories where you have a a biased lens in front of you that changes the shape of what you're looking at. Agreed, Matt. I, I would go a step further as well and say that it is quite possible that this guy, Capel, is latching on to something that he believes has current public interest as a way of popularizing his earlier existing stuff. It's kind of like how, and I I don't want to ruffle any feathers here, it's kind of like how the cool youth minister will say, well, you know, I uh, I also watched uh, Insert Celebrity TikTok video here, and what this really makes me think about is Insert Religious Dogma. Uh, like, it's, it's kind of a cynical attempt to connect on a viewpoint and enlarge that uh, or use that as a means to leverage your own indoctrination. That is what I think Capel is doing with this self-published pamphlet that says, hey, remember that famous person you know? Here's the real reason they died. It's like the lobby into the mansion of his own um, communist conspiracies. Well, also, nothing screams credibility like self-published pamphlet. Just putting that out there. Well, but I... I, I see exactly what you're saying. I think my point is just slightly different in that he may have even believed it, but because he saw things that maybe weren't there, but he that lens caused him to see the communist connection as the thing, right? As the connective tissue. 100%. If you own a, a chicken farm and you're reading about egg prices, you're going to view that through a different lens, right? And you can take things from that uh from those facts and use them pick the ones that you want to use to further 
support and expand your pre-existing stuff. We're talking about confirmation bias here. Check out our episode on how to be a skeptic part one and tune in for how to be a skeptic part two. Uh, This theory, this alternative narrative to the death of Monroe, it's not a national news item yet. It's a, it's again, a self-published kind of zine level pamphlet. It takes Uh, The alternative narratives take more of a public stage when famous writer and famously not great human being Norman Mailer publishes Marilyn, a biography in 1973, and he brought up some other claims. He's another one of the guys who says Monroe had an affair with Robert F. Kennedy, and Mailer says in his book, either the FBI or the CIA carried out an assassination specifically so they could get some sort of vague leverage. Uh, Mailer describes it as a, quote, point of pressure against the Kennedys. Why would you kill her, though? Right. Wouldn't wouldn't a point of pressure be way more effective if it's a person who's alive who could talk publicly about something? Who Who could continue to be a dynamic actor, right, and source of information. That's a great question, Matt, and you would probably be good at that kind of skullduggery uh, because you've got a gift for the cost-benefit there. It's weird. The, the This spawns other versions of the theory, and people say the CIA said Monroe has to die either because the Kennedy brothers shared too many state secrets with her, which made her a threat to national security, or because they were, quote-unquote, getting even with the Kennedys for screwing up the Bay of Pigs. And the Kennedys, by the way, did not screw up the Bay of Pigs. The uh, the intelligence services of the United States s- screwed that up on their own completely. I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, and then there's another thing, to your point. Norman Mailer, who again is a tremendously gifted writer, He goes on an interview, 60 Minutes, Mike Wallace. These are the days of destination television. 60 Minutes is stuff that people believe when they watch it. What does this guy say about his book when he talks to Mike Wallace? Well, he he says, yeah, yeah, I I don't really believe that. I just put it in there because I know people are really into it. Like, these are some pretty good names. It's got good SEO. Um, it's gonna gonna sell my book man if i put the kennedys in there with monroe with like maybe she was killed cia come on man these are all great words great things to put in there to sell a book let me dance on these three graves right to move some books gross but ben i mean you kind of mentioned he's not a super great person is his uh reputation as a proper journalist like kind of in question pretty significantly as a fiction author he's good as a person okay, fair enough. as a person he's a piece of when you write a book titled the person's name colon a biography i think a lot of people are assuming the information in there is going to be true or at least the author probably believes it or would say otherwise no but isn't it, it it's it's considered nonfiction, right i mean it's not like historical fiction you would not find it in that category in the bookstore well, he didn't call it a fictional biography, and he did cash the checks. That's what I thought. And That's he was pretty rough. A terrible, terrible person. Uh, so the uh, it's 
crazy though, right? He openly says, I just made that, like, I just thought it was sell books, SEO, like you said, Matt. Uh, Still, the public is already hooked, you know? They're into these alternative narratives. A guy named Robert F. Slatzer comes along in 1975. He publishes a book called The Life and Curious Death of Marilyn Monroe. And in this book, all right, this guy's amazing. Also, probably not a great person. Says, uh, look, not only did Robert F. Kennedy murder Marilyn Monroe for their unproven affair, but I know this because me, your buddy Robbie Slatzer, was married to Marilyn Monroe for like a long weekend in Mexico. For three days, we were married. It was October 1952. It was a beautiful three days in October. Didn't work out, but we were close friends until she died by my book. Jeez Louise. I mean, you know, again, to to the point of of what a life it must have been to to be Marilyn Monroe uh, in such a sexist society. I mean, you you need look no further than all of the men that were there to pick up the pieces and benefit from her long after she was dead. Guys, what is the equivalent of a pamphlet these days? Would we say that's like a blog post? No, but really like in digital in terms of like the the barrier to entry, right? You know what I mean? Uh, TikTok would qualify. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what we're talking about here. Just Mm -hmm. somebody states some something publicly about a very public person and like, how do you, if you ever saw that thing, how could you ever verify any of the information with it? I don't think right, you could. Right, right, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, neither of them have ever come out and explicitly denied having four separate clone bodies. And until they deny that, how are we going to know for sure? Thank you for the comments, everybody. Here's a dance. Like, that's like the, mm-hmm. the it's a TikTok equivalent. Sure. And, and you could see that. Yeah, it's an excellent point, Matt, because people are taking things as fact at this point in history because someone took the time to print them out. Right. Mm. Most people don't have home printers at this time. Anyway, so the. That same year, we're still in the 70s, this journalist, Anthony Scaduto, publishes an article about Marilyn Monroe's death in a magazine called Oui, like the French word for yes. It is a not-for-kids magazine. It is kind of on the level of Playboy, right? And uh, which famously had some good journalism, you know, Playboy. Playboy did? Playboy did have some great journalism, and We Magazine uh, gets enough interest from this speculative article about Monroe's death that this journalist, Scaduto, becomes an author, and he publishes an adaptation, a book-length adaptation of the article, and he calls it Who Killed Marilyn Monroe? He publishes it under a pen name, for one of any imaginable reasons. Right. Uh, Ah. He he says Monroe, in this book, he says Monroe kept a red diary where she wrote down sensitive political information that she had heard from the Kennedy brothers while having affairs with both of them, that her house had been wiretapped on the order of Jimmy Hoffa uh, by a surveillance expert named Bernard 
Spindle, and that Hoffa wanted to wiretap Monroe as a way of getting incriminating leverage against the brothers Kennedy. Is a red diary a thing? Or, or is There's, this just an allusion to the, the idea that it was like communist D? I, I know there are red shoe diaries. That was a very uh, salacious television program uh, starring David Duchovny before the X-Files. Uh, but I'm, I've never heard of the concept of a red diary. I'm just interested. Well, it, this to me is fascinating because I've, I've oh, heard you, about, I think it was just the color. I'm sorry. It's literally just referring to the color of the, the, of the, of the book. But I in think. a way, it's functioning as like maybe a red diary because it is communist, you know? Right. Um, because uh, Chairman Mao Zedong had the little red book, which was a pocket size edition of quotations. Okay. Right. See? Yeah. Oh, See? Well, yeah. But I've heard about this diary, and I didn't realize that this is the place where – it where the concept even arose. I thought it was later because this is 1975. We're saying, yeah, when the concept or yeah, that's when the article is written. So that's interesting. That's really it's interesting. weird, right? Because again, we see we we're watching folklore in real time. Mm -hmm. Essentially, we're seeing these claims get made without factual support and then get added to other. Uh, a big game of telephone, a big game of improv. Yes. And, you know, yeah. uh, can, like, can we just, yo, sorry, yes, go ahead. And yeah, I was married to her in Mexico for like a weekend <laughs> in 52. And we've been <laughs> friends ever since. Um, I, it, this is one of the first theories well after her death that feels to me like it could be real. Only because she's very, very popular. She's been with all of these very powerful, popular men. The t the Kennedy brothers are in that same are at that same level, right, of power and influence. It feels like they like them together doesn't feel strange, right? Either RFK or JFK. So I think in the popular mind, when that concept comes out that they're having affairs with her, and then using that as your I guess your pillar that the rest of your theory stands on uh, as she's hearing all kinds of stuff from, from them through pillow talk or whatever nights out on the town. And then she's sorry, babe, I got to get on the phone with Kissinger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hold the nuclear uh, football. Let for me, me, let me, <laughs> let me check. I checked recording earlier today. Let's see. He is still alive. Uh, and if he makes it to May 27th of this year, he'll be a hundred years old. Oh, congratulations. Always got to check. Keep an eye on that guy. <laughs> but, but I guess what I'm saying is this theory doesn't seem as outlandish as maybe some of the other stuff. I see what you're saying. Yeah. It requires a bit, uh, it, it requires fewer kind of assumptions. Uh, it's a shorter bridge of what ifs and if thens. Let's fast forward. It's 1982. There's a private investigator, his name, Milo Spiriglio. He publishes a book called Marilyn Monroe Murder Cover-Up. He says, yes, all that other stuff is true. And furthermore, uh, Monroe was actually murdered by Hoffa cooperating with the mob boss, Sam Giancana. And Who this guy- Hoffa? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's bringing Hoffa in. Yeah, because Hoffa had been mentioned in a previous book as well. Well, 
I just mean Hoffa famously, you know, disappeared and was probably murdered by the mob too. It's just, it's just, you know, conspiracies upon conspiracies. Mm -hmm. Just so. And, and so this guy, Spriglio, his perspective leans heavily on that guy, Slatzer, uh, famously married to Marilyn Monroe for three days in Mexico and uh, Scaduto, who famously brought up Hoffa as well. Uh, But, but Spiriglio's got to sell his book, right? So he's got another angle on this. And he says, I spoke exclusively with a former employee at the L.A. County Coroner's office. His name, Lionel Grandison. And my buddy Lionel has some interesting stuff to say. He says he saw that red diary and it disappeared. He said that there were bruises on Moreau's cadaver that were not mentioned in the autopsy. And this garners more stuff in the zeitgeist. The public conversation continues. The pressure gets too much for one reason or another. LA's district attorney says, we're going to review the case. And as we noted in their review, they did not find any evidence that in their opinion could support murder charges. But if you already believe these conspiracies and you've just been buying these books and reading these things, then them saying there is no evidence from far enough away, it looks like evidence all its own. The absence of something becomes the evidence of what that thing is lacking. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, (laughs) Why, why has, uh, why, why has insert world leader here never come out directly and said that Bigfoot does not exist. You know, why are you afraid? Right? <laughs> like, it's that kind of thing. But the the problem is, let's go back to the true crime angle, the wiretapping, right? The thing about wiretapping is if you are surveilling someone in that time, there's no cloud to upload stuff to. There's no encrypted server. You would be working analog. And we know this, uh, you know, Matt, Noel, you're both tremendously talented in the world of audiovisual stuff. So am I correct in saying that back at the time of Monroe's death, there would have had to be physical tape if you were oh, yeah. wiretapping? Which, which take, you know, I mean, it probably would have been, you know, they would have been using some sort of like a Nagra type tape machine, which is like a small reel to reel machine that uses the same type of tape that you'd use like in a cassette or on like a larger format reel to reel, but they're smaller reels. So they could have store they could store more of them than they would like say large format reel to reel tape, but still, yeah, physical storage, absolutely necessary. Um, but we also know at the time, I mean, you know, tons of people were being, were having t- Tabs kept on them by the FBI, for example, you know, uh, John Lennon, you know, famously Martin Luther King, the Martin Luther, the MLK tapes, a podcast that Matt, you worked on. Um, so this was definitely just a time almost like, a, you know, East West Germany kind of, you know, divide where there was just this paranoia. And uh, this kind of thing was sort of par for the course just from, you know, in that era. But if there were things at stake, uh, the things that we're talking about here, like state secrets with national security concerns, you wouldn't suspect a private investigator to be the one carrying out that surveillance. No, you're right, right? about that. You're right about that. Well, unless you need a plausible deniability, but yeah, you know, that's, also that's a badger for another bag, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. And, and the issue is that the wiretapping claims, 
Okay, I'm not going to say they're categorically false, but we do know that the Manhattan District Attorney raided old Bernard Spindell's home in 1966, and they took everything. Gary Oldman style, everyone. They took everything. Uh, Spindle would later claim that he had, in fact, wiretapped the Monroe household, but there was no record of this on the tape. So now you have to kind of figure out, are you going to be skeptical? Are you going to be conspiratorial? Is that absence of evidence, evidence of a further cover-up? Or is the fact that four years had passed since her death and she's a very, you know, well-known person. If you were wiretapping her, would you keep that stuff around? I don't know. Maybe you got rid of it. Maybe you did. Maybe it was, uh, maybe someone got rid of it for you. And if or we go to our it. buddy, yeah, or sold it to a private collector in Hollywood. And there are a lot of creepy versions of those. Uh, check out our episode on serial killer merchandising. <laughs> that one still bothers me. Uh, so... Lionel Grandison, this was the exclusive, right, from the coroner's office. Uh, he claimed there were all these cover-ups on the autopsy. He said, I've seen that notorious red diary. It's real. Problem is, OLG is not what you would call a reliable witness. He had been fired from the coroner's office not because he was trying to uh, share the truth with the world. He was fired because, I kid you not, he just could not stop stealing stuff from dead bodies. <laughs> that was like, that was his motivation, which calls into question his motivation for suddenly, quote unquote, realizing stuff in the 1980s. You see, curiouser and curiouser. But the to, to that question about Hoffa uh, that we're bringing up, the mob angle still has some adherence. As a matter of fact, in 1992, that a mob boss's brother and his godson collaboratively published a book called Double Cross. And in that book, they say that the CIA put out a contract on Marilyn Monroe's life because of her affair with Robert Kennedy and that they have, they have it on good authority that Giancana the mob boss accepted the contract and greenlit it. At this point, you know, it does give you a little pause, even if you're very skeptical, because the the U.S. intelligence services have multiple, have con colluded and cooperated with mafia organized crime in the U.S. multiple times. It's proven. They did conspire. It's not a theory. But why would they, again, why would they... Why would they put out a hit on on this Marilyn Monroe figure? I think we we got to take a break for a word from our sponsors, and uh, we'll come back to look at how these conspiracies continue to proliferate. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great tasting, all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to symbionica.com. C Y M B I O. TIKA.com. And we've returned. Maybe we fast forward to the 1980s. In the 1980s, a British journalist by the name of Anthony Summers published his take called Goddess, The Secret Lives of Marilyn Monroe, where he claimed that Monroe had serious substance abuse issues uh, and was experiencing uh, some form of, of mental breakdown of, of psychotic episodes in the last months of her life. He claimed that Monroe had affairs not only with Robert F. Kennedy, but also with John F. Kennedy, and that she only threatened to go public when Robert ended their affair. Um, so Summers argues that RFK actually continued to enable Monroe in her addictions. Mm. RFK enabled? Didn't we just, didn't we not long ago talk about how JFK had a little drug problem? It wasn't little. It was, <laughs> it was a, it was a pr- pretty tall milkshake. Yeah. Uh, and actually that's, you may be alluding to our previous episode on pres- U.S. presidents and drugs. The story the one where he was supposedly running naked around a hotel, right? Yeah, he did that part. That was, uh, that was, that was old Johnny. Um I think that was Johnny. There were there were a lot of U.S. presidents who were uh, not good teetotalers. They were definitely not straight edge, and uh, they were definitely a few intoxicated moments away from making some very bad decisions that would result in the deaths of millions. But yeah, <clears throat> Chappaquiddick, <clears throat> Chappaquiddick. Yeah, uh, just don't don't take vacations with Kennedys. Definitely don't take rides at night. Uh, so this this is the issue. The idea is that Robert Kennedy doesn't want Marilyn Monroe to go public about this affair, 
And so he plies her with drugs. That's the idea. The issue with that, obviously, is that if you want someone to die, there are much more direct ways to do it that would also uh, avoid having your hand on the trigger, right? So is your first reaction to lay out a mousetrap of what ifs and just hope someone overdoses? Doesn't seem like a, a plan with a very high likelihood of success and apologies for that accidental pun using the word high. Uh, anyway, like, all right, this Summers guy, he says that what happened is that Marilyn Monroe became quote unquote hysterical and she accidentally overdosed on all these drugs, these barbiturates that were within her reach and that an ambulance was called. And there is a guy who later swears he drove the ambulance. An ambulance was called. Monroe codes out and dies on the way to the hospital. Robbie Kennedy wants to leave L.A. before the death becomes public, wants to avoid all these messy associations. So the story goes, he had her corpse returned to her home and then uh, off the books, government agents staged that overdose as a suicide. More extreme versions of this conspiracy theory will say that uh, she was murdered and that she was the, the drugs that were found in her system were administered after the point of death via enema rather than uh, oral ingestion. Like if you were taking pills, someone put the drugs all the way up her system from the opposite side. Post-mortem? Just to just to have the the autopsy reflect different versions of it, but that seems like a lot of a uh, lot of intestine highway to go through, doesn't it? Yeah. Wait, it wait. Does. It got into her stomach from the bottom into her system. That's the idea, and it just it seems that seems far fetched, right? That seems like tough to understand. Wouldn't it be easier to insert? substances via the via the throat right it just seems mm, like a yeah i don't yeah i don't know i don't know but i, I mm, yeah yeah but the thing is again there are a lot of what ifs it's important to note here that summers is not a fly-by-night fringe dude you know he he has done a, a lot of legit journalism but later biographers have serious problems with his work they say okay it's too much speculation you're relying too much on questionable witnesses who only have second or third hand knowledge. You're accepting it as fact. And then those claims, once accepted as fact, become the basis for more claims, more books, cynically put, more publishing deals. Then there's folks like Donald Spoto, who wrote Marilyn Monroe, the biography, not a biography. You see how the uh, publishers Enjoy fighting on that one. Uh, this comes out in 1993, and he poses a theory that's a little more plausible. According to him, Monroe's two doctors that, Matt, you mentioned at the top, her psychiatrist and her personal physician, Greenson and Engelberg, respectively, had been trying to stop her abusing a drug uh, with the brand name Nimbutol, which uh, I believe is a barbiturate. I mean, yeah, Nimbutol is how I would say it. 
uh, yeah, it's it is something that was prescribed for people who were dealing with insomnia, but that's not really what it was, you know, fully meant for. That was something that it got prescribed for as almost like a side gig for the drug. Well, again, same with that Michael Jackson uh, drug, propofol. That was, you know, usually used, I believe, as a sedative, like on operating tables. But instead, it was prescribed to help him sleep. So here's the story with this stuff: uh, pinto barbital or nimbutol. Uh, the the idea was that these these two medical professionals were concerned about the possibility of addiction. They thought there were already addictive behaviors occurring. So they said, we're going to team up. We're going to Voltron up. We're going to monitor our patient's drug use and we'll crack a bargain. We are never going to prescribe this person anything unless we talk to each other, dude. You and me, we're going to talk and we're going to figure out what's appropriate because this person might be telling us different stories to maximize the amount of prescriptions they can obtain. Apparently, again, according to Spoto, uh, Monroe was able to persuade one of these guys, her personal physician, to break his promise simply by saying, oh, my other doctor, my psychiatrist, Greenson, agreed and said it's okay to prescribe, insert here to me, the Nimbutol, and she took several of these on August 4th, but she didn't tell that to Greenson, who prescribed her a chloral hydrate enema. And according to this biographer, it's the combination of those two drugs that killed her. So that's an accidental overdose. His argument is that those doctors then, with the help of the housekeeper, orchestrated the cover-up to save themselves from the consequences. Well, I'm just learning what that is. Chlor- what is it? Chloral hydrate? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's another sedative? It's for the discriminating animist in the crowd. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so it was just, it was too much sedative, basically. Right. Yeah, so an accidental overdose, it would have been. It's used in, uh, it's still used in the short-term treatment of insomnia. Got it. Uh, So if we step back for a moment, this is definitely, undeniably a tragedy. The majority of deaths are, uh, but the conspiracies, again, seem built on some kind of shaky foundations. If you look at the timeline of the claims and you look at what's being purported as fact versus what can actually be proven, it's going to be startling because I was guilty of this in the past. The One of the biggest questionable things is the notion of the Kennedy affairs, the idea that Monroe was sleeping with both uh, Johnny and Robbie Kennedy. Actually, it's tough to get that to bear up. They met JFK and Monroe, for instance, only met four times, and three of those times were public meetings. So maybe we can just do a quick quote from Donald Spoto, which is again one of my, I think, one of the preeminent biographers here. He says, quote, no serious biographer can maintain the existence of an affair between Marilyn and the Kennedys. All we can say for sure is that the actress and the president have met four times between October 1961 and August 1962. 
and it was during one of those meetings that they called to a friendly relation of Marilyn from a bedroom. Shortly after, Marilyn confided this sexual relation to her close relatives, insisting about the fact that their affair ended there. So the idea is they slept together once. Again, the idea that she was having um, an ongoing affair with both brothers concurrently has not been confirmed. I just, you know, this this Donald Spato talks about no serious biographer, and I think I've been beating my head against this this whole episode. Like, are any of these biographers serious, and what does it take to be a serious biographer? I just keep there's so many of these allegations that are in these mass produced works, you know, of quote unquote nonfiction. I mean, can you just say whatever you want about somebody? Is there no estate that's vetting this stuff and that's filing lawsuits? I just feel like some of this stuff is so uh, inflammatory and 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 bordering on slanderous. Uh, I just don't understand how there's there's been no direct litigation or backlash in the, into some of these claims. I mean, you can write around it, right? You and can write say it that they're claims of someone that with whom you interviewed for this book or that kind of thing, you know? I don't and know. They, they knew someone who had been at the same ball game as Joe DiMaggio's second cousin, who in the restroom said there was some stuff up with the Monroe death. That's, yeah, it's true. And unfortunately, it's ghoulish to um, to capitalize on these tragedies. Again, you know, you don't have to like celebrities. I certainly don't respect the concept, and I think it's gross. But if you're going to be a decent person, this is this is someone who was trying their best, and at the age of 36, they died, and that's horrific, you know. Uh, and it's and it's happening now, multiple times, as we record this episode today. And the due to the nature of society, the famous ones get more attention, whether or not. There should be more attention. Like, think of, oh God, the statistics would be staggering if you looked at how many people in their 30s in 2022 died under questionable circumstances and how little investigation was put into their deaths. That's, I, I think that's another, oh, I'm getting the look from Matt. Okay, that's another conspiracy, though. I'm just saying it. Anyway, back to Monroe. That's where the case remains today. The affairs, the Kennedy-Monroe affairs have never been officially confirmed. They are treated as fact in the vast majority of narratives about this, and that is unfair to you as an audience member. They are at the heart of many conspiratorial narratives. And there have been multiple claims about discrepancies and autopsies, the ideas that these drugs were administered via enema, that they're going to fake a suicide with it. This stuff is not often taken seriously, but what we should take seriously is the fact that someone innocent died, right? And if, if you have struggled with addiction or you know someone who has, then you know that there is a huge difference between an accidental overdose and intentional suicide, right? Uh, and furthermore, this leads us to another conversation that will come up in future episodes. Folks, what do you think? Was Monroe's death a tragic overdose? Was there something more to the story? Are there other celebrities or people of note that you believe were murdered in secret 
Um, I'm going to say yes. Uh, our old buddy Dag from the United Nations definitely murdered in a plane crash. No one talks about that one. Hammerskold? No, Dag <laughs> Hammerskold. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you What do you think about this new Netflix documentary that came out last year? I guess relatively new. The Mystery of Marilyn Monroe, colon, The Unheard Tapes. What did you think about that? Uh, also, off off mic, we were talking with Paul about this very inflammatory film, you know, the um, fictionalized account, I guess, or biopic or whatever called Blonde um, that, you know, it was rated in C-17 famously. I think it got more press for that than actually being any good. Um, so, yeah, let us know if you saw that, too. I would love to you're saying right now, but how on earth do I get in touch with you? Well, we have good news. You can find us on all the social media hits, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, MySpace, Farmers Only, uh, YouTube, where some variation of conspiracy stuff or conspiracy stuff show at that. Uh, And you might say, wait, no, don't end the show yet. I hate social media. I don't sip the social meds. I need to talk to you on the phone. I have a story to tell. Matt Noel, can we help those folks out? Oh boy, can we ever? One eight three three S T D W Y T K is the number to call. Matt, what do they do when they get us? Throw your phone out the window. That's step one. Step two mm-hmm. uh, is yell to your phone. Uh, for about three minutes, whatever you want to say to it, and make sure you call yourself a you know a nickname, something fun. Make sure we can hear it. You know, I guess yell pretty loudly, uh, and that's really all. Let us know if we can use your name and voice on one of our listener mail episodes. If you don't want to do that whole thing, and it sounds like too much, why not instead send us a good old fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 